You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast, a proud member of the Block M Podcast Network, brought to you courtesy of Fans First Sports. Welcome to the pod where we love talking about Michigan football more than Deion Sanders loves talking about Deion Sanders. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my buddy Matt Hartwell. Matt, Michigan 52, Indiana 7. What are your initial reactions? You got any quick hitters for me? Well, I mean, it was kind of a distressing game, to say the least, at the in the first quarter. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that actually thought that the Wolverines wouldn't pull it out. You know, uh, that's just kind of their their MO, their style of play, uh, where there's a little bit of sloppiness at some point in the game. But inevitably, Michigan figures it out with its talent and its depth and everything that that team has going on. So no fear on this end, but definitely some things you can take away from the game that kind of need to be honed in on. Yeah, one of those things that need to be honed in on is pass protection, right? Like, I feel like the slow start uh, came from giving up three sacks. There were some, you know, uh, some other little, you know, minor setbacks there, but you give up three sacks in a quarter, uh, it's pretty hard to move the ball. Uh, Pass protection against Indiana being a problem. Hopefully that's not foreshadowing to any problems down the road. Actually, in my opinion, the pass protection this season has been one of the strongest parts of the team. And so maybe it was just, you know, uh, solar eclipse happening during the game, you know, rain, like kind of peculiar circumstances. But uh, what do you think about the pass pro? You know, I thought it was, uh, it was decent. It kind of, there was some points where it, uh, they were in some distress. And then there were some points where they definitely had it figured out. Credit to Indiana, because, you know, they definitely had a game plan going into this thing. They emptied a full clip on the boys in the first quarter. Um, they were giving them all they had, some trickery. Uh, they even mimicked uh, our boy Donovan's pass uh, in the Big Ten Championship game, where he yes. tossed it off to the side to the running back. I believe it's the play that they scored on. But uh, it was the same exact look that Dono got in that Big Ten championship game against Iowa a couple years ago. Um, And they did score on that. So credit to Indiana for all the trickery and the shenanigans that they pulled. But, uh, you know, I think the big takeaway is that Michigan came out supreme. This team has once again proven that uh, despite any mistakes that that they have in that first half, as long as they get it together and play how they know that they're able to play, they can pull out the W, and uh, and they showed just another example of it this past Saturday. Agreed. Michigan scored on their final eight possessions of the game, which was nice to see. Seven touchdowns and a field goal, too, so mostly getting in the end zone. And speaking of Donovan Edwards, the Don finally gets in the end zone. I would have bet you a million dollars that this guy would have scored multiple times by the seventh week of the season. But here we are in this strange, bizarro world where Donovan Edwards m- maybe appears to have taken a step back, but definitely uh, circumstantially 
has not gotten things going. And so he gets into the end zone after a uh, an interesting interaction uh, on the series prior when he didn't get into the end zone. Uh, for the second game in a row, uh, Harbaugh and the coaching staff uh, march out Blake Corum on the one yard line, uh, you know, pulling Donovan Edwards from what appeared to be a touchdown that he uh, had seemingly earned almost. And and then Blake goes in and gets his 11th touchdown of the season while Donovan stands on the sideline with zero. Uh, Edwards was clearly upset about that uh, in a competitive way. I don't I don't think he was upset about it uh, in a disgruntled ba- bad teammate kind of way. And it, it, the way I look at it is Donovan Edwards is probably the best teammate that we've seen at Michigan in years. He's like a hype man for everybody around him. So I don't think he's being selfish. I think he was, he just really wanted to get in the end zone. Luckily he got in on the next uh, drive, but Matt, is it fair to say, and we've talked about this on the pod a little bit. Is it fair to say that Donovan Edwards has taken a step back? Uh, you know, I hate to say it, say those words in that order. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that he's taken a step back. I think that there's some adjustments that Donovan's been having to undergo during this early segment of the season. It's a different offensive line slightly that he's running behind. It's a slightly different style of play than it was a year ago. And it's a slightly different role for him than he was in a year ago. So. I still have high hopes for him salvaging uh, this season against some of our bigger opponents later on. But yes, in this these first seven games, Donovan Edwards has taken a slight step back. But, you know, I don't think that he's too far down the ladder that a lot of people would be that are currently shouting about, you know, and I'll have more words on that later when we get into our uh our most impactful player countdown. But I think he has, it is fair to say that the guy has taken a step back just in these first uh, seven games. Yeah, I think you'll be interested to see where I have Donovan Edwards on our our impact players thus far this season. Uh, some fans might not be happy with me, but we'll, we'll get into that here shortly. Um, J.J. McCarthy gets three passing touchdowns, which... Keeps the drive to 25 alive, man. We're going going for that passing touchdown record, which is uh, embarrassingly low. 25 touchdowns is the Michigan passing record. J.J. McCarthy goes from 11 to 14. Uh, he is well on pace with 2004 Chad Henney. And uh, Gerr back in the 90s also had 25, but Henney's the easier one to track because he's more recent. But anyway, J.J., Comes out, he had two incompletions to start the game, which did not help with those sacks. And then he rattles off like, I, th- I think it was like 13 of the next 14. I mean, he he basically was perfect the rest of the game. Uh, and we didn't need him to do too much. He was out uh, after taking a hit in the third quarter. Harbaugh said, all right, get this guy out of here. Uh, get Tuttle in there. We don't need him taking hits. And, and uh, JJ looked pretty good. Do you have any... Any gripes about JJ's game, or is it just more of the same? More of the same, buddy. I mean, you can't take anything away from the kid's game at this point. He is just doing everything that this team asks him to do, including an increased workload slightly over uh, this recent Big Ten schedule. So I've been a few. I've been a huge fan of it. 
I know that they've been doing everything that they can not to take anything away from his game and just letting him play the ball that J.J. McCarthy is accustomed to playing. So uh, it's good to see that kind of come into fruition here in the uh, early in the Big Ten season for the Wolverines. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he's to me, he's doing just enough to where he can stay in the Heisman conversation with a really big Penn State and Ohio State game. He just enough. He had that one game against Bowling Green where, you know, he had the multiple turnovers. Every other game, he's been practically perfect. And to see, uh, K- well, we'll talk about Caleb Williams here in a little bit, but to see a guy like Caleb Williams struggle against a solid defense and then for JJ to just keep tacking on consistent numbers, uh, JJ's definitely not in the top three or four of the Heisman race, but he's, he's somewhere in that uh, four to eight range. You know, he's hanging around, he's there. A big Penn State game and a big Ohio State game could see him get a, an invite to New York. Uh, before we hand out the player of the game, just a couple interesting stats now that, we've, now that we're seven games in and Michigan continues to dominate inferior opponents. Uh, Michigan has scored 45-plus points in three consecutive Big Ten games for the first time ever. Never has Michigan scored 45 in three consecutive Big Ten games. That's impressive. Uh, only team in the country that's won every game by more than 20 points. So of all the undefeated teams, Michigan's the only one that has won by more than 20 in every single one of those contests. And uh, the first Big Ten team to score 30-plus and hold their opponent to 14 or less in the first seven games since 1905. And so you can say what you want about the schedule. I mean, the schedule is is indeed very weak, but... Matt, is this the most dominant Michigan team or perhaps the deepest Michigan team that you can remember? Absolutely, buddy. And definitely when you throw in the that you can remember part. But uh, I mean, as far <laughs> as my lifetime goes, this is the deepest team at every position. And you really just can't see a weakness seven games in. Now, I know that there's a lot of inferior opponents that they've been mowing their way through, but... I mean, I just can't find a weakness. And the way that this team just dominates over 60 minutes of game time, like they can afford they can even afford to have a slight slip up in some of these games and just get right back to what they're doing. You know, they didn't even have any sort of dominance or momentum in this first quarter against Indiana. And they still you look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game. They win by 40-something points, you know? So you can't take nothing away from them. Uh, Mistakes are going to happen, but this team just shows all the makings of a team that's really got its shit together. Yeah, I wonder how how many times in history a team has dropped uh, more than 50 points in a game when they were down 7 to nothing at the end of the first. I mean, to me, like if if a team drops 50-plus, you pretty much assume that they were just dominant for all four quarters it this was a very unique game with the way the 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 flow went because indiana had 140 something yards in the first quarter michigan had negative eight and then it completely turned around which we all sort of suspected uh when we were watching the game i was never in fear that michigan was going to lose this game but man was i uncomfortable i mean it it was so uncomfortable in that first quarter 
but Michigan did pull it out. There were lots of guys that had key contributions. So let's hand out some player of the game awards for the Michigan-Indiana game. And of course, we call that this guy right here and this guy right here. This guy right here. Matt, I'm going to let you do the honors. I think you're going to say the one guy that I want to say. So I do have a backup, but I'll let you go first. I don't know if you are going to say the same guy that I'm going to say, because I'm going to go off grid here to one of the Mason Blues most underappreciated veterans that really came to life in this game. I love to see it. I've been waiting to see it. Mike Barrett, you yes. are my, this guy right here for this week. Uh, forced fumble, a sack, fumble recovery on the forced fumble. I mean, come on. The guy was just doing it all. He was playing a very intense game, and uh, I just love to see it. Love to see him finally having his moment and making some dominant plays and uh, people seeing what he's all about this year. So, Mike Barrett, you are my this guy right here this week. This guy right here and this guy right here. I love it. It's always a good day when Matt Hartwell's talking about Mike Barrett, man. It goes together like peanut butter and jelly, you know? It's it's just so nice. Uh, that is not the guy that I was going to pick for my this guy right here. Um, but I'm glad you brought it up because he has been having a quiet, uh, good season. Like, quietly good season. But you're right. He came out and made some big plays in this game. I want to say... I haven't rewatched yet, but he that, that was he got a sack fumble there, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, he got the the sack fumble. Um, there were a few good turnovers in this game. I was trying trying to keep up with the turnovers. Um, no shortage yeah. of uh, spectacular plays in this game, buddy. Like I'm giving it to uh, or we haven't got there yet. I obviously gave my player of the game to Mike Barrett, but just so many key performances this week of just guys showing out that uh, you love to see show out. So. I'm excited to hear who you've got. Well, my this guy right here for this week is none other than the happy-faced assassin, the meditating messiah himself, Julius James McCarthy III. <laughs> <laughs> J.J. McCarthy is my this guy right here. This guy right here and this guy right here. I mean, I just... I couldn't. I looked at the at the landscape of the game. You know, Junior Colson led the team in in tackles. There were uh, several really good defensive plays, but nobody really stuck out as a as dominant. Um, and you know, JJ had three passing touchdowns uh, and only three incompletions. You know, as many passing touchdowns as incompletions. Uh, Twenty seven rushing yards and. You got to remember that in college football, those sacks are deducted from your rushing total. And so to have 27 positive rushing yards when there were, you know, four sacks in that game, uh, that says a lot for, for JJ. And so JJ McCarthy is my this guy right here. But shout out to Colston Loveland. You know, I just want to give him a little bit of love because, you know, three catches for 80 yards and a touchdown for a tight end. I mean, that's... That's getting somewhere, man. He, I, I strongly considered Colston Loveland. And Colston, shout out to him, also, uh, I believe, led the team in receiving last week uh, with, with a touchdown as well. So really coming along, uh, Colston Loveland, lately. you love to see it. Trivia question for you. Who led the team in rushing in this game? 
That would be Benjamin Hall, my good friend. Man, I thought I stumped you. You paused for a second there. Yeah, Benjamin Hall led the team in rushing. And then, so that, let just very quickly before we move on to Sheesh, that kind of feeds into this Donovan Edwards narrative, right? We've seen Khalil Mullings get out there and, and move around and follow his blocks and, and look really good. And now we've seen Benjamin Hall get in in conference play and, and look really good. Is it, You know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but is Donovan, is he like missing the gap? Or like, is he, is he missing his blockers? Like what's going on? Because uh, everybody else seems to be getting it done. There are so many people on this train of, uh, of Donovan Edwards and these guys that are just showing out behind him. And uh, it makes it really hard. You know, obviously Donovan Edwards utilization at uh, receiver or in the slot or wherever they can put him really cements his place in this lineup because what he does for this team is really so important. Like his ability to yeah. pick up first downs or make it a, a third and manageable you know, he really uh, is very important, even though he's not exactly having those big runs or those big games like we've been used to seeing him have. But I would just encourage Michigan fans to just kind of continue to give the Don a chance, you know, and just take away the the rushing total at the end of the game. Or uh, I know it's hard to take away the rushing average because he had an ugly one in this game, but... Just give him a little bit more of a chance to kind of find his groove uh, within this offense the way that it's different from last year. And hopefully he gets it together. You know, I will say that it does seem that there's a little something missing, you know, with his shiftiness and and uh, his ability to get past that second layer of defenders. There's something up. And I just hope that he does find it. I'm not ready to give up on him yet. But uh, there is, there's some guys chomping at the heels to catch him. So he better tighten up. Yeah. And, it, you know, he's looking good in the passing game as Donovan Edwards always has. Before moving on, just real quick, I, and I, I promise I'm not trying to pour onto Donovan Edwards here because I, I love the Don. I think he's just fine. I think he's a key member of this team. And I think he'll prove it in big games down the stretch. But if the NFL draft happened today, where do you think he gets drafted? I don't know. It would probably be like like a fourth or fifth round pick, maybe. If I'm if I'm uh, try, I'm trying to see past the bias that I feel for the beginning of this season because at the end of the day, he's still in excellent shape, still a weapon, no matter where you put him on the field. I think that the NFL would still see that, and they'd still probably award him with uh probably a fourth or fifth round placement if he were to go and get uh get drafted but i don't know what say you mike well i think that's fair i i actually still think he would go maybe in the third third round right now because you got to think about the way the the running back position works in the nfl now like they're they're looking for versatile guys that can get involved in the passing game it's, they're not really drafting traditional running backs high as much as they used to. And so I think Donovan Edwards with his size and speed, and and he he has shown a lot on tape in big games his junior season. Um, I really think he just needs to bust like one or two long runs in big games late in the year. 
and he yeah. he moves he moves right back into that second third round range in the NFL draft. So um, anyway, more to be revealed there. Let's go straight into. Sheesh. And of course, this is when we take a look at what made us say sheesh from the following week. What got us hyped? What got us excited? What uh, made our jaws dropped? Uh, drop. I'm gonna go ahead and jump in here because I've only got one listed, and if you say it, I'm gonna have nothing else to say. Uh, Samaj Morgan. <laughs> is that yours? Was that yours, Samaj it's Morgan? Not. He's on my list, though. He's on okay, my list. Okay, all right. Samaj Morgan, man. I am so excited about this guy all of a sudden. A few weeks back, he showed the, you know, the wherewithal to turn around and make that back shoulder catch on a little almost a fade route type situation in the end zone there. And um this last week, I mean, he gets it out in in the flat. He's got maybe six Indiana defenders between him and the end zone. And he just, I mean, he looked like Pac-Man, right? Just like look going one way, nope, other way, nope. And he just wiggled his way into the end zone. I think uh there was an O lineman that helped him in right at the end. I think Trevor it might have been Trevor Trevor Keegan. Yep. I saw him getting them in there at the end. Is but, it a Keegan uh, touchdown or is it a Morgan touchdown if Keegan picks up Morgan and carries him into the end zone? Is yeah, what Keegan, Keegan was possessing Morgan who was possessing the football. So I don't know. I don't know how you account for that. But Samaj Morgan. Sheesh. So excited about this guy. So excited, man. Uh, you saw I tweeted it out. It's He's like becoming one of my new favorites on this Michigan team. He is like A.J. Henning, like times three. I wish he could return punts and kicks and shit, but that hasn't happened yet. Maybe in the future. But uh, just get this guy the ball. He is shifty. He's quick. He doesn't let his size affect his ability to go one-on-one with a defender and uh, get out in space. So I am just loving me some Samaj Morgan. I had him on my list just because that particular play really did make me say sheesh, and uh, and I thought it was great. But my play of the game this week has to go to J.J. McCarthy. Just okay. that underhanded backhand shovel pass to Donovan Edwards. I mean, I was just going crazy because at that moment, uh, as you know, I was at a wedding. I was talking up JJ to somebody in the room, and uh, and sure enough, he broke loose with like some ridiculous Tim Tebow type shit, uh, fanning that pass out to Dono to get within the five. It was amazing. It had me jumping up and down, and uh, it had definitely had me saying sheesh. So JJ McCarthy, I let Mike have you for my this guy right here just so i could award you for that fantastic play sheesh my guy sheesh. i love it i mean you know it's not a good show unless you're talking about the quarterback you know the leader of men jj is the man and yeah have you seen the old harbaugh play where he does almost the exact same thing and the, uh, there's a clip going around i think the big 10 network or somebody threw it out yeah, there kudos to the it, big 10 network for sharing that i thought that was super cool i mean there must be one guy out there that it just was like wait a second i remember jim harbaugh doing exactly that same thing because it looked like the same play i mean it, it was kind of wild and so yeah that that was fantastic it was you know playmakers just make plays 
And you can't coach that. You can't teach that. That's just who he is. He he didn't have enough time to get his shoulders turned around and square up to throw it right-handed because he had that guy right on him. Uh, but he knew he had Donovan open, and so he just he just chunked it forward in any way he could. A very I mean, Patrick Mahomes stones on him to make that pass. <laughs> it was just yeah. Insane. It was it was fantastic. It was fantastic, and so. All right, that was pretty good. Samaj Morgan, a little youngster, a newcomer. We got JJ. Uh, and both of those guys had an impact on this game. Speaking of impact, this offseason, you and I both listed our top 10 impact players for the season, uh, for the 2023 season. At, at that time, it was the upcoming 2023 season. And so we want to quickly recap what those were. And then you and I are both going to take a second to. Uh, you know, relist who we believe our top 10 impact players are for the season. But we were texting before the show and we both agreed you can't, you can't even make a list of 10 guys. And so we're going to make it 15. Uh, we'll, we'll go rapid fire on this, but first let me just share what mine was. Then you can share what yours was in the off season. So I had number one, JJ McCarthy, number two, Zach Zinter. I felt pretty good about having an O-lineman number two. Number three, Blake Corum. Number four, Will Johnson. Five, Mike Sainer still. Six, Junior Colson. Seven, Trevor Keegan. Eight, Donovan Edwards. Nine, Chris Jenkins. And 10, Mason Graham. So some of those names will stay the same and some of them will move around. Uh, Matt, what, what were your 10? Remind us what, uh, what your order was from the offseason. Absolutely, buddy. And it's definitely, uh, I found it interesting how many of these names, certainly some of them will stay the same as you mentioned, but some guys have, have uh, switched spots with some other guys and not that they have fallen completely out of you and I's rankings, but uh, there's been some new guys on the scene. So I'm excited to talk about it. But for me, I had Blake Corum at number one, Junior Colson, last season's leading tackler at number two. Donovan Edwards at number three, J.J. McCarthy at number four, Chris Jenkins at number five, Rod Moore at number six, followed by Will Johnson at number seven, Zach Zinter at number eight, Mike Sainer still at number nine, and Colston Leveland at number 10. I forgot that you had Rod Moore, uh, Rod Moore above Will Johnson. That, that's, a, that's a spicy take, actually. Um, okay, so we've each got 15. We've We've taken, um, and this is not who we believe the top 15 impact players will be for the remainder of the season. This is our top 15 impact players of the season thus far. That's a very important distinction because some of these guys, um, like Rod, Rod Moore is a good example, right? Like he, he might be a higher impact player late in the season, but maybe we might have a different opinion of him thus far in the season. So how do you feel about uh, doing five, 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 and five? Just pass. We we've each got fifteen. Why don't Why don't you start with your top five, and then I'll do my top five, and we'll just bounce it back like that. Let's do it. Are we starting at fifteen or starting from uh, top to bottom? Let's just start from the top. Let's start from the top. I I don't think this is a countdown type scenario. Let's do it. All right. So uh, the obvious culprit here. I got to replace J.J. Uh, McCarthy, move him up to that number one spot. That's yep. what makes the most sense. He's been the fearless leader on this team, just 
you account so much of what Michigan's offense has done so far to uh, his style of play and the way that he's been able to move the football. So JJ at one, Blake Corum number two. Uh, still, so many touchdowns on the year for Blake the Great. Got to give him that number two spot. Number three, I'm going Mike Sainer still, just because Michigan ranks so highly in uh, in pass defense. It's even ahead of their run defense this year. They've just been a force back there in uh, the defensive back room in the secondary. So got to give it to Mike Sainer still. He is the fearless leader of that group and uh, also has just had uh, an incredible stat line, just all around great play through uh, these first seven games for the veteran. Number four, Roman Wilson, still with that touchdown total and just being an all-time beast for Michigan on the receiving end. And then number five, Mason Graham. Okay, I like what you did there. We've got some similarities and we've got some differences. So, number one for me is J.J. McCarthy. Uh, You and I, we we see eye to eye on that. He's, He's the difference maker on this team, without a doubt. Number two for me, that's Blake Corum. Uh, That's where you had him as well, right? Yep. Yeah, so number two is Blake Corum. I mean, the dude's got more touchdowns than Taylor Swift's private jet in Kansas City this year. You know what I mean? Like, this guy is getting touchdowns. Uh, So you got to keep him up there. Number three for me, and I feel like such a casual doing this, but number three is, is Roman Wilson. Because, and then the reason I say I feel like a casual is because it's like, J.J. McCarthy, Blake, Blake Corum, Roman Wilson. It's like quarterback, running back, receiver. It's like, it's like what a you know, five-year-old would see when they watch the game. But the truth is, like to me, those are the three best players we've had on the field this season. And so props where props is due. Then you get into – so that's my one, two, three. Then I, I kind of just want to put – Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, and Kenneth Grant all in the number four spot when I can't. And so I actually went, and this might be crazy, I actually went with Kenneth Grant as the number four overall impact player. Maybe I'm delusional there, but that's my number four. Number five, Chris Jenkins. I love it. And first initial thoughts, buddy, is you're not delusional just because the margin for error in this exercise is razor thin just because all of these guys are just studs for this Michigan team. So you can't go wrong here. Um, I was also almost a culprit of, uh, of that three person offense, offensive top tier. So uh, I'm glad one of us did it because that triumvirate is, uh, is just everything lately. So shout out to those three guys. No, uh, no wrongdoing on your end, having them at the top of your list. I'm going to go right into mine. And uh, and for me, I kick it off with the offensive lineman. You mentioned shouting out, uh, shouting out the guys there. I've got Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan, Jalen Harrell, Kenneth Grant, and then Keon Sab. And, oh, man. Uh, and I just got to have those two offensive linemen, Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan, up there at the top. Carson Barnhart is also worth an honorable mention in this scenario, just because I'm kind of grouping those two gentlemen in together with their importance to this team. Uh, I mean, they're just so important to what Michigan is doing right now, regardless of if they're running the ball, regardless of if they're 
protecting JJ. So we need those guys. They have a huge impact on this team. I'm going Jalen Harrell because he has reclaimed the uh, the sack leadership after this past week. He was a menace against Indiana. He's been a menace just periodically throughout the season. Um, so I got to go with Jalen Harrell. Kenneth Grant, I'm almost just letting him take like a slight step back to Mason Graham. Uh, and like like I said, the margin for for error in this exercise is just so razor thin. And the same goes for both of those two guys. I just think Mason Graham has been so consistent. He's just been everything on that defensive line. In my opinion, he's the best guy on that defensive line with the most talent. So that's my take on on where that stands. But Kenneth Grant has still just made so many big plays for this team, just so many ridiculous plays that you wouldn't have seen him making at the beginning of the season. So Kenneth Grant, and then I'm going Keon Sab, man. The guy is still clocking heavy minutes, still yeah. still picking off passes. Two the interceptions Keon now. Sab, yeah. the Sabbath, is just doing it all back there, uh, and I just love it. I think that the guy is so important. And like you said, this exercise is only through the first seven games of the season, so can't factor too heavily into the Will Johnson and Rod Moore hype just yet when they've only just been back for a couple games. So uh, up to this point, I've got Keon Sab having the heaviest impact on my list, buddy. This exercise is crazy, man. I just had the most mind-blowing realization when you just uh, talked about Jalen Harrell or Harrell. I need, I need to figure out how to say his last name finally. He's been he's been on Michigan long enough, but um, I don't have a single edge player in my top fifteen. Like I don't even like how does that even happen? I think if I remade the list, maybe I'd squeeze one of them in. But there's just so many good players, and so number six, I I went Zach Zinter as well. You and I were kind of seeing eye to eye there it's like that's right around the time where it's like okay time to get the o-line involved i had mike sainra still number seven um mason graham number eight and the only reason i let mason graham fall is because he missed time and so that that's no fault of his own it's just i think between those three studs on the interior defensive line i think mason graham has probably played the best he just hasn't been in every game, and so I let him go a little lower on my list. Number nine, I'm going with Will Johnson. Um, he's been shut down. You know, he, he, we haven't heard his name a lot other than that pick six to start the game of Minnesota. You know, it's I, I could see a world that exists where you you make this whole top 15 list and Will Johnson doesn't even make it because of, how many other guys have had an impact this season, but I went ahead and threw him in there. And then you'll love my number 10 pick. I'm giving credit where credit is due. Michael Barrett is the first linebacker that hits my list, which is incredible if you think about the talent that we have at linebacker, but I'm putting Michael Barrett at number 10. I love that. And I even uh, tried to find ways to include Michael Barrett in my list as well. Uh, I'm going to go right in and finish off mine. We've got number 11, Colston Loveland, just been still crucial in the tight end yeah. game for Michigan. Uh, 
been very reliable, especially these last couple outings where, like we've already talked about, he topped Michigan in receiving and uh, scored another touchdown this week. So he's picking it up at just the right time. I think even before he was picking it up, he was still being serviceable, catching every pass that was thrown his way, actively being involved in the blocking game. Uh, So I've got Colston Loveland right up there at number 11. Number 12, Junior Colson. His numbers haven't exactly popped in the same fashion uh, that they did last year because you've got that Mike Barrett, Ernest Hausman, Junior Colson group rotating consistently throughout the game as well as some other guys on the back end. But still, you know, he's been... Very efficient, still leads the team in tackles, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I'm not having him quite up as high on my list as I did to start the season, just seeing how actively involved that rotation has been between those three guys. But uh, still, Junior Colson, number 12. Chris Jenkins, number 13. And uh, still, just I hate putting him that low, but just a razor-thin margin here that we're working within. I still think he's so important to uh, to what Michigan is doing. Great at stopping the run. Great at putting pressure on the quarterback. You always see him in pursuit back there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've still I've got him uh, right there on my list behind Colson. Then I'm going Donovan Edwards. I'm not giving up on this train. Dono, you're in there at number fourteen. He is still just so important in the receiving game. Still, this game reeled in 50 yards receiving, 50 yards on the ground. So Donovan Edwards is still accumulating between 80 to 100 yards of all purpose per game, you know? So I'm not ready to uh, to just set him out and, and say that uh, he's in decline or anything because he's still picking up a lot of first downs for this team. He's still diverting attention away whenever he's fanning out on the wing or any of that kind of stuff. So Donovan Edwards, you're still in there in my book. And then uh, number 15, I'm capping it off with Josiah Stewart. He's just been a menace for uh, that defensive line, always in pursuit of the quarterback. So I've got Josiah Stewart at 15. And then I'm just going to throw in some guys here, Mike Barrett and Drake Nugent. I've got to have them in. They've been very important as well. Wait, wait, wait. You're at 16 or 17 now, right? These are honorable mentions we're talking about. All right. All right. Drake Nugent and Mike Barrett. I'm just, I got to shout them out. They've been very impactful. And uh, and I'm just sliding them in as a shout out in my rankings. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And no matter how you do this exercise, you're going to leave off somebody that is very, very good and it's very, painful. very impactful. And and so let me get through. There's one name that I'm surprised you left off of your list, and so we'll get to that. Uh, and then there's some other names that we like. We need to just talk about and just see where we think they're going to go. So number 11 for me was Junior Colson. Uh, we are pretty much the same outlook on that is that he's still he's still up there. He's good. I think if he like forces a turnover or two, that'll really draw draw some momentum towards what he's doing. Uh, number twelve and number thirteen for me are Trevor Keegan and Drake Nugent. I had to get all three interior offensive linemen on this list because when we need a score from the one yard line or the two yard line, it 
it's like it's kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles with that Jalen Hurts like little push that they do. It, it's like we all, everybody in the stadium knows what's going to happen. They march Blake Corum out there and they run it right between, you know, the guards right there. It's it's those three big boys in the middle. And so uh, Trevor Keegan and Drake Nugent had to make my list. Number 14 is Colston Loveland. I felt like he's done enough. I, I believe he's caught a ball in every single game. And so for a tight end, that's that's pretty good. And um, two touchdowns, and including that really nice touchdown in this last game against Indiana. And then number 15, the guy that I feel like you left off the list, uh, is Cornelius Johnson. So I've got uh, Cornelius Johnson on my list. But I, I, I have some guys that are notably missing. So Keon Sab, not on my list. Uh, Donovan Edwards, not on my list, which is crazy. I'm trying to think who else. You could make a case for a guy like A.J. Barner. A.J. Barner's been an incredible blocking. He's, he's really gotten some good, uh, good things going in the receiving game. Um, one of the more slept-on players that we don't ever talk about is, is Makari Page, right? We, we don't really talk about him much, but Makari Page is consistently doing good out there. And then, of course, you know, Rod Moore is also out there. So anybody else that we're, that we're not thinking, I mean, you could, the tackles, right? Carson Barnhart, Ladarius Henderson, those guys deserve some respect. This team is so deep, man. It's so painful to talk about it. And you and I, like we mentioned, we were even texting about it prior to the pod just because it's so difficult. And I almost like had to cheat my way out of Rod Moore or Will Johnson because those guys have played very well being in for the time that they've been. Nobody's even throwing at Will Johnson since he intercepted that pass. So, you know, it's it's hard to leave them out. Um, I just really based my decision for those guys solely on the fact that they haven't played nearly as much as the other guys, although Will Johnson has still been heavy on snap counts during the time that he's been in action. So he'll quickly make his way onto this list, uh, I'm sure. But uh, Carson Barnhart, as you mentioned, just a guy that's been so important just because of his versatility along that offensive line. If Carson Barnhart can't make the switches that he's made over the last few weeks to accommodate Ladarius Henderson moving in or to accommodate Trente Jones occasionally coming in for some snaps, then this offensive line doesn't have half of the success that it has right now. So Carson Barnhart, also very important. Drake Nugent, I already talked about him. Cornelius Johnson, he's right there on uh, on the cusp. Um, And almost, I'm almost cheating my way out of him uh, by just mentioning Roman Wilson earlier in... uh, in the countdown, but Cornelius is right there as well. Although his touchdown total doesn't jump off the page, still very important, just as important as Colston Loveland has been, also with his blocking. So it almost just feels crazy to leave anybody off of this list, especially once you get talking about the kind of impact that they've made and the kind of plays that they've made. But it's just a testament, man, just a testament to how deep this team is and really gets you excited for uh, for what this team is going to continue to do as they get further into that Big Ten schedule and finally get to prove themselves against some of these better opponents. Who do you think, if you had to pick one or two guys to be the biggest movers 
So, so we have our lists right now. And actually, your list and my list are were pretty, uh, pretty comparable, with with the exception of a couple guys. Keon Sab is one. You know, there's a couple guys that had very different rankings. Um, who would you see as the biggest mover between now and the end of this season? Who who has the best shot of shooting up this list? I'd probably have to say Will Johnson or Rod Moore. Uh, just because yeah. I think Will Johnson is destined to end up on my list. And like I said, I solely left him off just because he hasn't seen nearly as much playing time as a lot of the vets on this team. But aside from him, I don't know. I'd maybe I'd maybe venture to say Donovan Edwards. I still think yeah. that the best things are yet to come for him. And uh, if I know you, if if Donovan's popping off long runs like he did against Penn State and Ohio State last year, he'll find his way up there. So uh, I think Donovan Edwards, Rod Moore, Will Johnson. But other than that, I mean, it's just hard to say. All of these guys have been just such dudes on this team that uh, it's hard to imagine any of them slipping. But. Who knows? Maybe by the time we're doing this exercise next time, it'll be at the top 30 countdown or something. Yeah, I agree with you. So the the defensive guys, Rod Moore and Will Johnson, are the two that could definitely shoot up this list. Um, on offense, I, I I would say Donovan Edwards is a good pick. Uh, Samaj Morgan, right? He's He's definitely got some momentum, and so I could see him getting into that top 10 or 12 impact player range. That's a little bit less likely, though, because I don't know if he's going to... I think he's going to be a gadget player, and we'll see a couple of looks a game. I don't think he's going to necessarily become part of early packages and big games. But but who knows? I mean, the guy's killing it. And then, actually, uh, Colston Loveland would be a really good offensive candidate as well, because you and I both had him in that 10 to 15 range, and... Right, you had him at like ten or eleven, right? Yeah, I believe I had him at uh, eleven. Yeah, and so that's a guy I could see being a top five impact player between now and the end of the year because you can tell that the confidence the coaching staff has in him, the confidence that JJ has in him, has not wavered at all. And now that the games are just slightly getting—I wouldn't say more competitive—but we're getting deeper into the Big Ten play, you you can see a focus towards like you know getting Colston Loveland some touches and so he could move up that list so we'll I have mean, to do I another could even see chris jenkins you know on my list i had him at uh at 13 i believe i could see I had a, jenkins yeah. moving up and i'm only basing that just solely off of kenneth grant really popping on tape and mason graham just being like an anchor along that line even with a club on his hand I think that guy yeah. just makes so meant so much impact on this uh, on this defense. That kid is a star in the making. So Mason yeah. Graham and Kenneth Graham both stars. So uh, not that I think that Chris Jenkins possesses any less talent than either of those guys. I think both of them have just been prone to a few more bigger plays than him this season. So I think that he could make a big jump uh, if he starts to come on strong. Anything can really happen. Cornelius could sneak in here. But other than that, I think a lot of these guys are are sound as the leaders on this team that are making the making a huge impact. But we'll see, man. This season is no shortage of uh, surprises so far. You know, the uh, club on Mason Graham's hand and then 
the club on Donovan's hand last year. It begs the question, does a club on your hand make you better at football? Like, do 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 we need to have all twenty two starters come out with, with the clubs on their hand next game? Because apparently, I would be surprised if Ben <laughs> Herbert has them with the weight on their face, uh, and they've got to figure <laughs> yeah. out a way to lift it off with the club or something crazy. I would yeah. imagine. Leave it to Ben Herbert to figure out how to keep working out these guys with clubs on their hands. Um, all right, well, let's look around college football. There were some interesting games that, that took place. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to start with Colorado just because that was kind of a funny one? Uh, Colorado goes up 29 to nothing. You know, it's prime time, baby. Like, we're back, Colorado. Let's go, Deion Sanders. And, and uh, you know, Stanford, pretty much the worst Power 5 team out there, mounts an epic comeback. Um, I was sleeping. I think mo- I think most of the country was sleeping. <laughs> I, I woke up and was like, "Wait, what? What happened?" <laughs> and uh, Colorado dropped a uh, a really tough one to Stanford. I was absolutely sleeping. I checked in on the game. I watched a little bit of the first half um, and woke up in the morning and saw uh, a meme of the score. I thought the meme was a joke. Honestly, because the last I looked, they were up like 29 to nothing. Yeah. Uh, and then come to find out, you wake up in the morning, the fighting neon Dion's blew a massive lead to Stanford. Uh, at this point, it's just kind of entertaining a little bit. Colorado's already reached the the over under that they were set forth to reach at the beginning of the season. So the rest of it's all just soap opera at this point. But uh you know, it, it was funny. I think uh, I think Colorado has still figured a lot of things out that uh, that they had wrong last year. So kudos to them for that. But I mean, come on, <laughs> blowing a twenty nine nothing lead to Stanford. That's embarrassing. Also, uh, I don't know if you caught the last second heroics of the Florida Gator game at the wedding that I was at. So many Gator fans. Uh, I, of course, college football is on. I'm going to be there no matter who's playing. So I was observing the Florida game. Florida was actually down 10. They were winning the game, then down 10. And then uh, South Carolina regained the lead. And then Florida won the game in heroic fashion in the last seconds. Uh, What did you did you catch the Florida game at all this past? Well, I saw. I actually didn't watch that game. There was a lot of good football on, but I I, I saw that Graham Mertz had uh, a really good stat line, and he he's such a peculiar player, right? Like we he had like the five passing touchdowns his freshman season at Wisconsin, and I thought he was going to be great. And then he tra- he's one of those guys that's just like up and down and up and down. And so I don't really stay tuned into the the Gators quite as much as you do. I know you have some. Uh, relative reasons to like stay stay plugged into them but um how about usc being (laughs) dominated just dominated by notre dame man uh caleb williams throwing three picks notre dame just smothering him and we've seen notre dame against other teams like louisville uh ohio state duke we kind of know what notre dame is notre dame is a good team they're probably not a great team. And so to see Notre Dame manhandle USC, uh, it really says a lot about that Lincoln-Riley system. 
and it says a lot about uh, USC's chances to win the Pac-12 and make the college football playoff. So I don't know if you have any opinions there, but uh, to me, it's like watching Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley all, all over again. He's just all offense, no defense. Doesn't seem like he has any interest in putting together a defense. Yeah, USC looks like hot garbage. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, uh, I, I honestly wouldn't I'd peg them as a fringe like top 10 team at this point you know they've uh they've got a really deadly offense when they want to be but that defense is just atrocious the way that they're able to get picked apart so at this point I'm not even really perceiving USC as an actual threat just for their inability to hang with tough teams on defense and even as you saw like they struggled a little bit against Notre Dame uh, offensively as well. So, you know, I really question them up to this point. Washington, on the other hand, looked very impressive, uh, took down Oregon in epic fashion. What'd you think of that game, buddy? Oh, I mean, just an incredible matchup. I, you, you can't, you can't like pick a better college football matchup and like draft it and create it. I mean, it, it I mean, of, of course I have, I have biases towards like Michigan Ohio State games and whatnot. So don't don't misunderstand me and think that I'm saying this game was better than that, but just the parody of the game and you've got Washington and Oregon, it's a rivalry. They're in neighboring states and up in the Pacific Northwest. They're ranked they're ranked, you know, 7 and 8. They're they have very similar offenses, very similar defenses and the game does not disappoint. It goes right down to the wire. Oregon makes some fantastic plays to to take the lead and then Michael Penix comes through um, my personal leading Heisman candidate at this point in the season is Michael Penix um, because of this game. And so the thing I was trying to figure out, so Washington wins uh, 36 to 33 over Oregon. The thing I was trying to figure out when I was watching that game is are these two teams better or worse than Texas and Oklahoma? Because I was watching the Texas and Oklahoma game and I had that <clears throat> that same feeling where I was like, wow, this is a good matchup, really interesting game. It's a rivalry game. And so I'm really struggling with, do I rank Oklahoma above Washington or Washington above Oklahoma at this point? Because uh, those were two very similar matchups. And I'm curious how you see it. You know, I, I'm giving the edge to Washington at this point. You know, as you'll kind of see in our later rankings, but uh, I'm very impressed. I think Washington has the quarterback to really kind of solidify themselves in this race. And I'll kind of get more into them as why I see them more as a contender later on in the season. But mm -hmm. at this point, I'd probably give a slight edge to uh, Washington, but I do, uh, I do understand what you're saying about, about that environment this past Saturday and that matchup with Texas that's all uh, very much worth considering, but I'd probably give the edge to Washington at this point, despite my uh, historical uh, discounting of the Pac-12. Well, yeah, I think our historical discounting of that conference needs to be put on pause, at least for this season. Um, they got a lot of good teams in that conference this year. Uh, elsewhere, so we go to the ACC where Clemson is all of a sudden irrelevant, uh, Florida State 
uh, wins 41 to three against Syracuse and Syracuse is a, a team that for all practical purposes looks like a good team. And so Florida state has now handled Clemson. Uh, they've beaten LSU. They uh, took Syracuse to the woodshed. So they seem to be for real. And then North Carolina is undefeated with Drake may at the helm. And so there are some ACC contenders that are floating around out there. Do you think anybody from the ACC is for real? I do. I think uh, Florida State, as I mentioned earlier in the season on this pod, I think Florida State is uh, kind of a scary team at this point, just because they've got the quarterback that's uh, dynamic enough to make some plays. I think that that could be a dangerous team, especially in a playoff setting. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, Bama. What about Bama? Do you think they they get back into the mix? Three-point win over Arkansas. Uh, once again, not looking like the Bama of old. Uh, can they win out and get, make the playoff as a one-loss one SEC team? Hot garbage, Mike. I'm giving them the hot garbage stamp as well this week. I just don't think Bama has it this year. You know, they've... Uh... They've shown a lot more chips in their armor than they're accustomed to showing at earlier times in the season in previous years. So, you know, uh, it's not uncommon for SEC teams to have some slip-ups against each other. Uh, we heard Kirby Smart trying to cover cover his way up for uh, that comment a few we- weeks ago, noting that all SEC teams should be ranked, but that's not the case, <laughs> you know. Uh, just because your team hangs with uh, Arkansas or South Carolina, you know, doesn't a uh, fellow SEC team doesn't really justify a shitty performance in any setting. So I'm uh, I'm saying that Bama's not really for real this year. And uh, and I'm sticking to that. I don't think that there'll be a problem come end of season. I tend to agree with you there. I, you know, it's tough. I think that the the winner of the SEC is without a doubt going to make the playoff based on what we've seen historically. Um, will that be Bama? Probably not. But I don't know. Georgia is looking vulnerable. They only beat Vanderbilt this past week, 37-20. to 20. And I had to check the, uh, the sco- you know, scoring summary because I was like, well, maybe it was 37-3 to 3 and then it just like, it didn't look as that you know it didn't look like that dominating of a win when it was over like no 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 like this game was 30 to 20 uh late in you know in the second half <clears throat> so georgia struggling with yet another team um brock bowers goes down with an injury which i think affected them that's the one thing that makes me think that bama might be able to sneak their way in in the sec is georgia looks very beatable and so, uh, the question becomes, you know, well, let, let's go ahead and let's gear it to our, to our next segment, which is let, let's touch base and, and predict the college football playoff, or at least give our current college football playoff rankings as they stand right now. So I want to know who are your top four. So top four, Mike, I'm going to give it to Georgia just cause, um, I believe that they'll continue upon that same momentum they've had with the voters up to this point. And then the same when the college football uh, ranking starts to take effect. I think Georgia will remain seated at number one and then Michigan at number two. Number three, I think Florida State 
really doesn't have the competition in their schedule to to really stand in their way at this point. I think Florida State has a pretty clear path to the playoff. I think that uh, I think that they'll finish in that spot, and I don't think anybody's really going to mess with them until they get to that point. And then number four, I'm going to go with Washington, although I just really believe strongly that the Pac-12 will do what it always does and cannibalize itself. All of those teams will continue to eat each other alive. Washington probably has the most difficult schedule uh, to cap off the, the remaining season that they have. So I do think that Washington loses a game against one of those opponents that it has. But at the same time, I think that they win the conference championship, and I think that team just still passes the eye test if they're able to do such a thing to get into that fourth spot of the playoff this year and uh and bring some uh triumph triumphantness back to the pack 12 before they just disappear forever <laughs> but yeah, before uh, they dissipate and become non-existent exactly um, all right so is that your top four as it stands right now? Like who who should be in, or is that your top four? Is that a prediction? That is that like who you think's going to be in? You know, up to this point, I'd probably say it's the same. Okay, okay. So for me, it'd be a little different as far as I'm going to go with who I who I would put in today. If you were like, okay, you're the committee, put your committee hat on. Who do you put in? Um, and it's tough because a, a a very deserving team gets left out in in my rankings here. So I'm going to say number one, Georgia, even though I think Michigan has a pretty good case for number one at this point. But I think when you have the defending national champ that has not lost a game, you you, you basically got to keep them in that number one spot. So for the, I'm trying to just honor college football at this point and say, you know what? Georgia's won the last two. They haven't even lost a game. So you put them in that fir- that first spot. Michigan number two, I've got Washington number three, you know? And so that question that I posed earlier to you about where do you value this Washington-Oregon game compared to this OU-Texas game, well, there's your answer for me. I think that Washington-Oregon game displayed two teams that were better than those two teams from the Big 12 that we saw. So Washington number three. And then number four, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I've got Oklahoma number four. I've got Dylan Gabriel as my number two Heisman candidate right now based on uh, the, the way that he's playing. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Oklahoma, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on Dylan Gabriel. I think they're very good. Um, so that means that Florida State gets left out. Florida State is number five on my list, which is almost unfair because they have more quality wins than anybody else in the country this season. Um, and I've got Ohio state number six. And a lot of people might say like, Oh, that's your Michigan bias kicking in. Is that, that might be true. I mean, yeah, I do have Michigan bias, but uh, between those six teams right there, um, no matter who you put in that top four, I feel like somebody's getting left out. And it, well, uh, you know, and, let me tell you who I've got at five and six mike and let me see okay see how you peg this i've got your boys oklahoma at number five okay at number six i've got penn state and that take that take comes from 
me believing that the Nittany Lions are going to knock off the Buckeyes this upcoming Saturday. And I think, I think, Mike, that we're going to see Ohio State get exposed a little bit against Penn State. So uh, we'll see how that can, that, how that goes come uh, this upcoming Saturday. But I think that we're going to see Ohio State get exposed by Penn State. And then I think Michigan's going to beat the shit out of them. So I don't think that Ohio State's going to be close. And that's just the way that I see it at this point in the season. I, uh, I'm not saying that Ohio State isn't good or that they're not a good football team. Um, I just don't think that they've got the cannons to compete with some of these other teams the way that they are so well-rounded and so well put together at this point in the season. So we'll see, buddy. But I don't think Ohio State finishes this season with without two losses, and that's just the way I see it up to this point. Well, if Penn State can find a way to shut down Marvin Harrison Jr., I think that Ohio State goes down. Um, that's a big if, though. You know, if Marvin Harrison Jr. gets behind that defense and finds the end zone a couple times, it could be a very different story because Ohio State, uh, they do have a few explosive electric players. I don't know. We're going to find out soon. I can guarantee you I will be glued to the TV because those, that that's it right there, right? Those are our two remaining uh really only strong opponents on the schedule and so um i got i think i have penn state number seven in my rankings and so we're not fall far off there so you know we're talking big 10 football so let's get into the big 10 ohio state beat purdue 41 to 7 nothing nothing really going on there that's to be expected um penn state beat umass massachusetts uh home of former home of Michigan cornerback Josh Wallace, um, 63 to nothing. That means absolutely nothing. They're, they played an FCS opponent this late in the year. Means nothing. Who knows? It's basically a bye week to get ready for Ohio State. Um, any notes on either of those? No notes on really either of those. I mean, Penn State, fresh off of a, a spree of James Franklin talking shit about other Big Ten coaches schedules while he's in the <laughs> while he's in the process of hammering UMass sixty three to yeah. nothing. Uh, so wild. really no notes on that. We'll let that speak for itself. How about Iowa, buddy? Did you uh, did you peep the Hawkeyes this past Saturday? They have got to be the most boring <laughs> six and one team in the history of six and one teams. I I can't even believe that they keep winning football games with such an atrocious offense i mean i'm pretty sure they're off i haven't looked this up but is their offense 132nd out of 132 teams i mean i think it has to be their their offense is just so bad it it burns my eyes to even look at the tv screen when they're on offense and somehow they keep winning games like what is happening well quarterback deacon hill six of 14 on saturday for 37 yards no touchdowns yeah. No interceptions. Like Cade. Cade McNamara, anything, same shit. Yeah. If anything, Coach Ferentz is fucking loving that Cade McNamara is not there to want to throw the football because he can just do whatever he wants for the remainder of the football game, which is uh, play to his style of play. And uh, they beat Wisconsin this past Saturday doing it. So 
it's looking like they've got a pretty favorable schedule to control their destiny and uh, make it into the Big Ten Championship, but who knows? The West always has a way of working itself out, uh, and some madness ends up taking place, so who only knows if that's how it ends up shaken out, but uh, Iowa in a very interesting situation uh, seven games into the season. We may very well see them in the Big Ten Championship, which is crazy to think about. Um, Illinois beats Maryland in a very tight game, so Maryland loses two in a row, which that's kind of interesting because Illinois has not looked good this year, so Maryland loses a couple. Um, And then uh, the game that we just love to talk about at this point I look at the TV screen, you know, I got three screens going, of course, because we got we got multiple games on in my house. That's how we do college football Saturdays. And I look up and I see Michigan State 24, Rutgers 6. And it's like eight minutes left in the third quarter. And I, I lean over to my wife and I say, watch, they're going to blow this game. <laughs> and then they proceed to do exactly what I said they were going to do. And they just cave. Rutgers beats them 27 to 24. Uh, Michigan State doesn't have anything going for them on the field. They don't have anything going for themselves off the field. And of course, that is our opponent next week, the battle in East Lansing. Uh, They've already warned us to hide our kids, hide our wives. Don't come to East Lansing because it's going to be a bloodbath. Bring your battery shields. Yeah, are are you hiding in a corner because you're terrified of this game or 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 what? How are you feeling? Uh, if there's anything I'm hiding in the corner about, buddy, it's just that uh, I don't want to get hit by any like onslaught of batteries or anything like that. Neither <laughs> my wife and children. So uh, if anything, I I might uh, bring them like a shield device or something for that, but. No, I think uh, I think they're going to absolutely obliterate the Spartans. Uh, a couple bright spot bright spots for uh, for Michigan State. I mean, Nate Carter is a serviceable running back. Cal Halliday is always a pain in the ass come this time of year for the Wolverines. So those are two names to watch. But outside of that, Michigan State looks abysmal this year. They rank fifty sixth in uh, passing yards allowed per game, 31st in rush yards allowed per game, which are probably the brightest spots of this Michigan State team, their biggest bragging rights that they probably have at this moment. So uh, Michigan will have some things to probably figure out early on in the matchup of of how to get around uh, uh, some defensive looks that they may give them, but I think it's going to be another bloodbath, buddy. Yeah, two and four Michigan State, uh, 59th in FPI ranking after week seven. Uh, they were 59th in the SP plus ranking after week six. I have to assume that went down a little bit after this Rutgers loss. And so, you know, that's middle of the pack at best. I don't think Michigan State is riddled with terrible players, and I don't think they're an absolutely terrible team, uh, but they're not good. You know, they're not good. And so I want Michigan to go in there and uh, get a win, come out healthy, uh, just add another W to the, to the win column. I don't trust anything about the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. I hate everything about it. it you know, it's just a weird game where weird stuff happens. Uh, we need to stay focused, go in there, win the game, 
and get out. Uh, Michigan State's in transition. Uh, Mel Tucker came and went, pun intended, uh, and and you know th- they will figure out what to do next year. But uh, this is the year of Michigan football. We need to beat our rivals in East Lansing on the way to a national championship, uh, and they're in our way. So let's go get that W. Absolutely, buddy. I will say that I hate be a Michigan Michigan State night game. It just never seems like the right aura for me when it comes to that rivalry. So uh, I'll be a little apprehensive about that. But uh, other than that, I think Michigan is going to control this game. I think they're going to get control of it early. Um, you know, another another note of mention for this Michigan State team is that they account for the same amount of passing yards per game as Michigan. So what that kind of indicates to you is that this is not a well-coached team. You know what I mean? They have the ability to make plays and put up numbers, which makes them slightly dangerous. But at the same time, the self-inflicted wounds have shot them in the foot all season long. But other than that, it's still a team that you want to be on guard for. It's a rivalry matchup. There's still there's still a few playmakers that exist on that team. So shut them down properly from the beginning, like you have been with uh, with these other opponents up to these this point through these first seven games. And I don't think you'll have a problem. Just let the boa constrictor do the rest. The boa constrictor, I love it. And speaking of the boa constrictor, that style of play is exactly why you can't compare Michigan's total passing yards to Michigan uh, State's total passing yards because the way that Michigan gets those yards very different you almost have to take their total yardage in every category and and add 25 percent to it because Michigan shuts down the machine at the end of the third quarter Um, also Michigan uses up a lot of the play clock and so there's less possessions and so I, I wouldn't look at total passing yards and say okay these teams are are comparable in that category and I, I know that's not what you were saying at all but but uh it's that's that's why you can get in in trouble looking at these total yards kind of stats it's like different teams have different uh personalities and Michigan the way that they play like it's it's actually a miracle that we score as many points as we do considering we limit possessions we play slow we we have a certain style we uh, really favor the run. Even even this year, where we're we're passing the ball more, we still favor the run. And so, um, Michigan's just a better team. Um, I would say in every single category. If you if you compared every single position group, in, including the coaching staff, I think Michigan actually checks the box every all the way down. And so they just got to get in there and get that win. Um. All right. Time to remind everybody that. The Big House Bleachers podcast is brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is the one-stop shop for all your Michigan game day swag. It's getting colder outside, and if you need some Michigan clothes, uh, head on over to Fanatics. You can uh, find the site very easily. Open up the podcast notes. Scroll down to the bottom. You'll see a Fanatics link. It'll take you right to the Michigan page for Fanatics swag. So get on there and shop away. Matt, great show, my friend. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social and all that other good stuff? Absolutely, man. They can find me on uh, my main Twitter handle at Maze Crusader 
or any of the great content that we're putting out here at Maze and Brew. Uh, the main website for that is mazeandbrew.com, or you can follow any of the social media at Maze and Brew. What about you, Mike? Man, people can follow me on Twitter. I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter, by the way. I've, I, I've decided we're not going to call it X. Um, you, people can follow me on Twitter at Wolverine Cron. Uh, go on YouTube. There's a Wolverine Chronicle YouTube. And of course, you can check a lot of this out through WolverineChronicle.com. Uh, we are so happy to be here on the Block M Podcast Network, brought to you by the Fans, Fans First Sports Network. Uh, that was the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. That was Matt Hartwell. And as always, go blue. Go blue.